0: Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We are going to be walking through the book of Nehemiah, and I am excited about this because Nehemiah is a book of passionate determination. And it is founded in a love for God and his people, and, and God used Nehemiah to rebuild the people of Israel, to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. He chose Nehemiah. Why? Why did God choose Nehemiah? He chose him because Nehemiah had a burden. He was passionate for God's people. And he could do the same thing with you today and I today, as anyone who has found a passion to love God and love others he will work with them. So the first step begins with finding your passion. You see, having passion for God is crucial in the walk of a believer. Many equate passion to what is seen in scripted reality shows or some of the more physical definitions of what passion is. But that's not what we're talking about today, not the physical application of passion. We are talking about in our time together today is finding your heart's desire in loving God and serving Him. I've, uh, I'm at this point now, not only in my life, but as we walk together at Homeland Park Baptist Church and as we are seeking God for, for what God wants from us as a church and from us as individuals, God is telling me over and over again, don't have a mold and expect people to fit that mold. Find the passions that the people have and then they will serve and, and be rejuvenated because they are, they are doing what God has called them to do. And so we are passionate about those we love. We are passionate about our children, our family, our friends, our church family. We'll do anything for them. We are passionate about them, but sometimes that can be a bad thing because sometimes we are more passionate about our own wants and our own desires. I woke up the other morning thinking about all these things that had to be done during the day and all of a sudden I started feeling a sensation of a tired brain and an uh, uh, overwhelming spirit, an overwhelmed spirit, but I'm not saying this to generate any kind of sympathy. I'm just being real with you, folks. All of you have those days. I am sure you've had it in your own situations that you have things have made you weary. Things uh, are are not always easy. And again, this is not me complaining. This is just life. There are some of you in here that may be able to walk up, wake up every morning, zippity doo dah, zippity eh. let's go, right. Morning people, God bless you. I am not a morning person, uh, but that's okay. But still, even morning people, those that are positive, rosy and cheery, have times of frustration, I'm sure, whether they want to admit it or not. But when I was in that moment, when I was feeling the grind, it was that moment God reminded me of the scripture and sermon this morning. God clearly said to me, James you will work towards what you are passionate about. Okay, Lord, I got it. I understand what you said. That led me to the question that I must answer for myself and you must answer for yourself. And that question is, what am I passionate about? Where does serving the Lord and His church factor into My passions. You see, God reminded me of this fact that our passion is not fueled by what we do, but who we do it for. At the end of the day, it's not going to be a profit and loss statement or a balance sheet of your life of all the great things you did and all the bad things you did. And if for some reason they they balance out each other and you're more in the good than the bad, then he's going to be happy with you. No, that's not how it is. God wants us to serve him. He's given us a passion to love him and love his people. So as I was thinking about that, and I was having that pity party, you know, where you're the only one there and there's no food and no presents. You know, we've all had pity parties. But the truth of the matter is, it was a reminder of why do we do this? Why are we here this morning? Why am I sitting up here talking louder than normal? And, and why are we Why are we just doing this? And it's because we love God. And I hope it's because we love others. Because that's what Jesus said the greatest commandments were. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Well... I think those that are here today and those that have gone on have served the Lord probably longer than I've been alive. They probably you want to know how do they keep going? How did they do that? I was very grateful this week we haven't had to baptize in a while, so we had to before this we had uh, Gary Bryant and Larry Mcleese uh, that would would just handle all that and Cindy would hand, handle the Cindy Hanks does a great job and still does a great job of handling. The women's portion of baptism. I'm grateful for that, but again, I found myself wondering how are we going to set this thing up. Luckily, Jimmy uh, was uh, helpful in helping with that, and then uh, Gary Bryant was able to come up here for a little bit and show us what's going on. and And I was just telling Cindy before I came down here, you know, um, folks like Larry and Linda and Miss Bobby and, and and all of these. We've lost so many people, but they just kept coming. They had their families in church. They made sure their grandchildren were in church. They themselves were in church. When some people were taking an off day, even though they had bursitis and arthritis and olditis and all that kind of stuff like that, they still were here. How do they do that? It's because they had a passion for God and a passion for his people. And so that's why we're going to be looking at Nehemiah. You see, we return to the book of Nehemiah which uh, I was looking back. We, we have gone through the book of Nehemiah before, full disclosure. So we have gone through this before. What I have found is that God always leads us back to Nehemiah when he's ready to start doing something pretty amazing. And I'm not saying this because I'm, I'm not amazing, but I'm just saying God has said, James, go back to Nehemiah. And so as we go back to Nehemiah, we see that Nehemiah is part of what they call the historical books in the Old Testament, you have, first you have the first five books of the Old Testament, which is called the Pentateuch. Those were the, the books of the Bible written by Moses. They call it Penta because Penta means five, Pentateuch. I know you don't need that. You're like preaching. Just go on to Preaching. Well, I'm just trying to give you a little background. So then the books following that are called the history books, and they are basically the history of God's chosen people as they are exiled and as they they begin to grow, as you see with, uh, with Jacob and Israel forming and all of this stuff up until the point to where near the end of the historical books you have Nehemiah and Ezra. And so that's where we are today. And the book of Nehemiah was lightly written probably about 445 or 420 years before Christ. And uh, many scholars believe that Nehemiah and Ezra are actually one book, just divided into two. So uh, if you ever have biblical trivial pursuit, that may help you. But the book of Nehemiah details the Israelites being in captivity by the Babylonians, only to return to their home in Jerusalem, with the walls of their city broken down, I will never forget when, uh, golly, I can't remember. Oh, Katrina! When Hurricane Katrina hit, as many years ago, and I will never forget. I had, had been since Hugo that I'd seen this damage, but we went into Gulfport, Mississippi. Everything was leveled. Everything. The despair. And I can't imagine living in Gulfport and coming back and having to go through that. We helped some families and some very dear people that were walking through that. But can you imagine? I mean, some of y'all, when you go back to where you grew up, think, "Oh my goodness, they had just two two lanes in the road. Now they got four and a median." My goodness, all they had last time was a Hardee's. Now they got a cookout. Woo! They are they are living large. You ever go back to where you grew up and think, "Wow, but it's changed." Time keeps going, preacher. But there are times where you go back and you say, oh man, that, I remember that store, it's closed. I'm sure many of you that grew up in Homeland Park or Glouc Mill or over at Verena's drive through here and you go, oh man, I remember that used to be my mama's house. I remember we used to go there and get hamburgers. I remember that used to be in the store. I remember that I used to work there. I remember all of these different things. It doesn't mean things are bad. It just means things are not what they were, and they need to be rebuilt. And so Nehemiah knows that Jerusalem is needing some things, and that's what we look at. So all of that backstory, all of that to set up, let's look at our scriptures this morning in Nehemiah chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3, finding your passion for others involves two things, care and investment. Finding your passion for others involves care and investment. I have no idea if I were to ask you, do you love those you go to church with? You would say, oh, yes, preacher, most of them. <laughs> no, I'm sure everybody would say, oh, yeah, preacher, I, I, I love everybody. Okay, Good. Well, how about that guy that was sleeping on the porch that you walked over coming in this morning? Or how about the, the woman that is, is um, strung out over on one other street or something like that? Do we love them? Do we Do we love those that are not speaking our language? Do we love those that sometimes are harder to love? Well... With that said, let's look at the verses. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hekalah. I think that's right. Or Hekeliah. Use your imagination. Nehemiah's concern for Jerusalem in late autumn in the month of Kislev in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, just to let you all know that that was probably around November or December of 446 B.C., so, I mean, it was over in the Middle East. I don't know how cold it was. Uh, I don't even think the uh, Santa has started his run yet. But he says, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Boy, I'm telling you what, this hit Nehemiah in the chest, because as we will learn, Nehemiah was a Jew, but under Babylonian captivity, he got the job as a cupbearer, of which we'll talk more about that. Uh, probably next week, but these were His people. And so this comes to, to my mind, do you and I care enough to really ask how others are doing? Most of us would say, hey, how you doing? i fine, just fine. I mean, the the whole world could be on fire. Hey, brother, how you? Oh, I'm just fine. Everything's great. Or the, there's some people... That that when any time you ask them something, oh, preach, it's not good. They took a pint of fluid out of my back the other day, and, and I got this and this and this, and it's always something. And look, hey, I understand that. But the reason I'm saying that is that if I ask you something, how you're doing, or if you ask someone how you're doing, and they respond, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we better get ready to help. To take action. Nehemiah could have just said, oh, dear brother, that's uh, that's hard to hear. I'll pray for him and go along with his life. How many Christians do that? Oh, preacher, that's terrible. Let's pray for him. And that's as far as it goes. Just a side note. If you ever tell somebody you're going to pray for him, you better. Because we are held accountable for every prayer we promise that we do not give. Do you care enough to ask how others are doing? Some people prefer not to know what's going on, because if they know what's going on, they may be obligated to do something. Nehemiah cared enough to ask and deny, how are the Jews? How are my people doing? Genuinely asking how someone is doing means that you really care about what the answer is. Look, if you don't care how they're doing, don't ask them. If all you and I do is ask for someone who's doing, and we're just doing that for knowledge, you know, hey, how's so-and-so doing? Or even better yet, this is what, what Christians like to do. They don't, like if I'm talking to you, I'll say, how's that other person doing? Folks, that's not a prayer request. That's gossip. If you want information just to hear how people are doing so you can spread it with your friends and family and do nothing to help, that is what... The Bible calls empty words and godless chatter. If you're really concerned about somebody, call them. Or if they can't talk, you can't get to them but somebody else can. See how you can help them. If you really have a passion for people. God calls us out. Nehemiah shows us what it's like to have a passion for people. In verse 3, Nehemiah felt the need of his people. You and I do not know the importance of having a wall Around our city, yes, many of us have fences in our yard, some may live, no one in here, but some live in gated communities, but the city wall around Jerusalem, that was their main defense, and that was a big deal, and we'll talk more about the significance of that through this series. The fact that the wall was torn down and the gates destroyed meant that the people living in Jerusalem had no defense. Folks, they were ripe targets. They were sitting ducks. It could be any any country or any ruler that wanted to come in and sack the city and take them over. They, they had no defense. They had no walls. The Jews had tried to rebuild the walls earlier, but under the reign of King Artaxerxes, people protested. Imagine that. Somebody spoke up and said something, and so they weren't allowed to continue. Nehemiah saw that the Jewish nation was struggling, and he prayed for God to show him what action to take. You know, it's funny here. Nehemiah said, oh man, that's terrible. Let's form a committee and look into this. Oh, that's terrible. Let's do some investigations and let's uh, make a recommendation to King Artaxerxes. Let's... Let's go hire somebody to come in and take a look at this. No. He took it on personally, and the broken walls of that city, they were symbolic of the people. The walls were broken, and the people were broken. I hear people all the time talk about, you know, "Oh, you're in Homeland Park? Yeah, absolutely I am. I love Homeland Park. I love the people. Because there are people that are in Homeland Park that have a resolve and a strength that I have seen nowhere else. Because you have to have it if you live here. Or you have to have it if you've been from here. You know exactly what it's like. There's not a whole lot of pretense. It's either you love your neighbor or you try to protect yourself. It's, it's very refreshing to be here. But the thing is, is that much like in a prominent area begins to become run down It hurts, doesn't it? It hurts to go by and see houses that need to be or have been torn down. It's hard, as I said earlier, to see businesses that are no longer opening or or to see houses that you once used to frequent a lot have people living there that are not doing well at all. It's hard, isn't it? But is it hard enough to have a passion and want to do something about it? That's what God has called us to do at Homeland Park Baptist Church. is a minister to our community. Folks, I got news for you. We don't have money to relocate. <laughs> We're right here. And if you want a church, and I'm I'm so blessed by this church, if you want a church where you can connect with somebody and you can serve and you can be in a community and be a part of a community, this is a place. I am so proud of this church. Not because of me, no, not because of me but just what God has been doing through this. So your obedience to that passion makes a difference. Also, the second, verse 4, passion for people is heartfelt. In other words, to say that, another way to say that, you can't fake it. You cannot fake passion. Passion. Now, don't get me wrong, you can, you've seen keynote speakers, whether it be at a tech seminar or whether it be with your work or even in, preachers can do this. It's sometimes not what you say, but how you say it. If you, if you learn speaking techniques and you learn illustrations and you learn how to, to bring people in, there are people that are very good public speakers that aren't saying much. And folks, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, the people that do not have the passion for what they're speaking about usually never last. You've got to have a passion. And so it says in verse 4, When I heard this, Nehemiah talking, When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. I'm going to meddle for a minute. It messed with me, so I'm going to mess with you. Well, I'm not going to mess with you. The Scripture is going to mess with you. Notice it says Nehemiah stopped what he was doing. That means if we are going to find a passion for God and a passion for people, we may need to slow down what we want to do. It says he sat down. He stopped the grind. He stopped his schedule and he let that, that burden come in to his life. When we see devastation hit areas other than where we live, we feel sorry for those affected. We may even give some money towards that and donations and they pray for them. And, and that is good. But when things happen in your backyard, it's much different, is it not? What makes people laugh or weep is an indication of their character. You see, weeping, it says that Nehemiah weeped. Weeping for others is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of strength. Now, there are people that that can be real weepy because they're not getting their way, just like a child, and they can cry about it. This is not happening the way I thought it. God, I don't understand this, or this is not fair. You know how that goes. You've seen those temper tantrums. But strength. And weeping. Nehemiah was showing strength. For example, if you look at Jeremiah, he wept for the people. Paul wept. The Lord Jesus himself wept. When is the last time, out of a passion for people, you wept over the condition that they were in? You see, worldly passions glorify ourselves. But godly passions glorify Him. Do not be the person who ignores or turns a deaf ear to God so you won't have an obligation to do something. Many refuse to let people in because they don't want to feel their burden. But the thing is, is that if we have a true godly passion, if we have a passion for loving God and serving God, it's going to draw us closer to Him. And if it draws us closer to Him, it will draw us closer to those who need Him. Nehemiah did not just wallow in sorrow over Jerusalem's plight. He did say, oh, that's terrible news. I'm going to sit here and cry about it for a while and not do anything. That's not what he did. Nehemiah learns this, and I've learned this to be true in my experience too. There will always be hurting people, and also hurting people will hurt people. In your passion to love others, you will get hurt. In your passion to reach others and to be there for others, you will mean well, but they will not take it because they are hurting and they will hurt you. You cannot take it personally that's the worst thing in ministry and in life is that you become close to people in churches and then things change that doesn't remove the passion nor the obligation to help them and so we see in nehemiah that when he heard this story it gave him two things it gave him direction And it was a call to action. Nehemiah shows us that our fasting and prayer are next steps to when we seek to glorify God. You see, learn from Nehemiah when he wept. When God puts a burden on your heart, don't try to escape it. Because you will miss the blessing God has for you in that. And then the third thing is praying gives our passions a God-first focus and guardrails praying gives our passions a God first focus and guardrails that's that's one thing that I learned you know growing up younger and and it's still the case as an adult too but what you will find is that you will find things that you are passionate about and if you don't put them within the context of God's word if you don't if, if you don't funnel your passion through God's word what happens is is you go off the rails And all of a sudden, this passion that God gave you is now being used to do ungodly things. That's the way the devil works. You realize the devil, name one thing the devil created. One thing the devil created. You can't. Because the devil cannot create. All he can do is pervert what God has created. Look at what he's done with marriage. Look at what he's done with family. Look at what he's done with love for others. Well, let me get back on subject. Nehemiah verses 5 through 11a. It says, Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. What he's saying here is that God is the focus of our passions. All right. Then we see where Nehemiah takes ownership of the problem in verses six and seven. He says, listen to my prayer, Lord. He's talking to the God. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people of Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly, but not obey by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that, gave, that you gave us to your servant, Moses. And see, by Nehemiah, using the word we, he is personally confessing the sin, and he's taking ownership of it. One of my favorite passages is in Psalm 51, where, where David is writing, this is after Nathan had busted him for what happened with Bathsheba and Uriah, And he was at the lowest point of his life. And David is just saying, oh, this is terrible. This is a man after God's own heart. But yet he starts praying, create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. And the thing is, God does that. But before David was able to say, create in me a clean heart, If you go back and read the verses before that in verse 51, he says, I realize that I have sinned. I realize that I have hurt myself and other people. But most importantly, I have sinned against you, God. And nobody wants to take ownership of their sin. Today, we want to blame the politicians. We want to blame our upbringing. We want to blame the education system. We want to blame all of these different things. And yes, These things are not right, and even churches are not right because the people are not right, because nobody's right, because the Bible says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we as a church need to quit pawning off our sin on other people, take ownership for it, understand that it's God that we are sinning against, Stop it and move on so that we can find our passion. Because every sin that we commit and refuse to let go of is one more veil that hides God's given passion to us. We see in verses 8 and 9, Nehemiah appeals to God's character. He says, Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. So what Nehemiah is doing here, he's appealing to God's God's covenant with Moses to restore his chosen people when they return to him, just as Moses has done. There are times you see in the Old Testament where God just was fed up. He says, "Look, okay. We're going to we're going to do a hard reboot. We're going to do another something like the flood. We're just, you know, we're just going to start over." And Moses would remind him, "God, hold on a minute. Remember this remember this plan, remember this covenant." And it wasn't like God forgot it. <laughs> but I think he was trying to remind Moses and the people of that. You realize the scripture that's in here, God keeps his word. And if God says, I will never leave you or forsake you, he will not do that. If God says, go into all the world and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and women too, that's not a suggestion. That's not just for full-time preachers. That's for everybody. So God has been faithful in your past. He given him your present. And then you can trust him with the future because Nehemiah knows passion for others alone is not enough. God is the key to our success. Read verse 10. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. What is he saying here? He's saying, look, I, I serve this King Artaxerxes. He is not your believer. He is not one of yours, but please move in his heart, and we will see later that's exactly what God does. Look, just because our politicians are not, I've got to be careful what I say here. I don't care what side you lean on on the political spectrum, but I'll tell you this, if your hope is in a politician, it's in the wrong place. If your hope is in your newsfeed, it's the wrong place. Do you realize we see over and over, and we will see in the book of Nehemiah, that God uses people that are hostile to him to do his work. <laughs> you don't need to be a Christian for God to use you. And you tell a powerful person that does not believe in God that they're a puppet in God's hands, they'll probably get offended at that. But it happens. Time in time, again, you don't have to be saved to use by, be used by God, but you do have to be saved to experience the blessings of it. And so that's what Nehemiah... So Nehemiah is praying, look, in my workplace, please change my supervisor's position on this or use my supervisor to allow me to do this. Oh, that's a little different, isn't it? That kind of makes... Real world sense today. If God has placed you in a career, God has placed you in a group... Or position, do you realize the one thing he may be doing is putting you there to reach others, to be used by him? And even though if your boss is a Christian or a non-Christian, it does not matter. Your prayers can make a difference in how God uses them. That's what Nehemiah shows us. So you may not be stuck in a situation you don't like. You may be planted in the situation that God has for you so he can do the work. If you trust him with it, you will receive the blessings. But if you go kicking and screaming, he's still going to do what he wants to do, but you're going to miss out on what he wanted to show you. That's what we learned from Nehemiah. He's saying, Lord, hear my prayer. This prayer gave Nehemiah confidence. And so the third thing that we see is that some battles can only be fought through prayer. My friends, let me tell you something. There are times where God's going to throw you to the mat. I remember one time I was wrestling. and I may have said this before, but I was wrestling. I was like ninth grade wrestling on the varsity team because they didn't have anybody for that weight class, which was the unlimited class back then. And, and back then, they didn't have a limit on the, on the heavyweight. So, yeah, I mean, I could have been wrestling Andre the Giant. And I tell you what, I had one win. And I was proud of that win. It was only because it was a forfeit, cause the other guy didn't show up. I'm telling you what, some of these guys use me like a a mat mop. Hey, yeah, I remember one time this one guy, he slammed me so hard on my back. Now this is wrestling, not wrestling. All right, I'm not talking about what's on TV. I'm talking about wrestling. He threw me so hard on my back, my foot tingled. I'm like, can I walk? I remember what they say, counting the lights. But you know what, folks? There are times where God has thrown me to the mat. To where all you can do is pray, count the lights, and hold on. And at the time I did not like it. But let me tell you something, friends. We see this in the like in the life of Jacob especially. Uh, if you go back, I remember my first sermon here. I was preaching about Jacob wrestling with the angel. You've got to understand, sometimes it's not all Satan against us. Sometimes God is your aggressor. And sometimes he's wrestling with you to change your character. So my friends, if you're in a situation or you come to a situation that you can't handle, the first step is saying, I can't handle this. And then... Start praying. People say, ah, preacher, that prayer stuff is just a crutch. Absolutely, I've been walking on it for years. Because I cannot walk by myself. All right. Let's wrap this thing up. If God has given you a passion to do something, then he will give you the people to help you do it. We see that in Nehemiah's life. And then finally, my question to you today is, have you found your passion for God's work and his people? Nehemiah's passion was rescuing his people for the glory of God. So he wept and he prayed and he stood up and went to work. It's a good thing God doesn't work like most churches. God say, okay, guys, I got this sheet of these positions I need to be filled. Okay, which one y'all want? And you look on here and you say, I don't see anything I want to do. It doesn't mean you're not spiritual. It means it's not your passion. God is not burning you for that. So if it's not burning you for that, he's burning you for something. So let's find out what it is. Has God given you a passion to serve Him? If He is, don't sit soaking sour. Let's do something. Do you say you love Homeland Park and you love the people at Homeland Park and you love being in the church at Homeland Park? Let's do something together. It may be something we've never done before. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Is that preacher saying he's talking about change? We're going to have to get rid of him. What's the, what's the dying statement of a church we've never done it that way before? Look, my friends, I'm just praying step one of where God is taking us. And I wish I could tell you the master plan and put it on the screen and tell you in six months we'll be here, in a year we'll be here, and by five years. All I know is this. God, if he has saved you, he has given you every spiritual gift to accomplish what he wants you to do, and he's given you a passion for it. The question is, will you, uh, as a little children's song said, hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. Do you have a passion for people? If you do, pray, 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 and let's find out what that is. Nehemiah's decision... Nehemiah's passion was rescuing his people for the glory of God. Nehemiah wept, prayed, stood up, and went to work. Do you have a passion? And if so, how does it affect your life? Folks, stop being wrapped up in your own set, on your own schedules. God is calling you to something greater than yourself. Just determine to trust God and find out what that is. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you this morning. For the reminder that, Lord, our passion comes from you. That, Lord, you've placed us in a community and in a church with believers that love you and love one another. And I do believe that we love those outside of our walls. But, Lord, help us as we continue as a church to figure out how to do that. You're doing something at Homeland Park Baptist Church. I just pray you give us the tools, the means to depend on you and to find out what that is, Lord. Thank you for not giving up on us. And thank you for making the days ahead much brighter. We love you, Lord. And if there's one here today that just would like to pray. And we saw a baptism this morning. If there was somebody here that would like to join the church through baptism or join the church by letter or statement, today could be the day. Or if someone just wants to come to the Lord and pray say, God, show me your passion. Let it begin today in this service. That I may not know it today, but Lord, you can show me. If you want to come forward and pray at the altar or pray with me, whatever it may be, this brief invitation is a time for you to do that. Would you please